I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me. For this cause have I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if God will, and will know not the speech, not the words of those who are puffed up. I want to know the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. But by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Do you remember your father in the faith, the one who shared the gospel with you? The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians that he begot them through the gospel. The Father wanted his children to imitate him as he also imitated Christ. Well, beginning with 1 Corinthians 4.14, here's Dr. Mitchell to continue our study. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you. And you know, it is a wonderful thing that you and I can have a little time each day to talk about our wonderful Savior not only what he has done for us, but also the privilege we have of being on God's team, fellow workers together with God. This is what Paul is talking about in the in 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters especially, where he is contrasting the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men. In fact, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The Corinthian church had got, began to feel that they were wise. And the apostle Paul in chapter 2, you remember, said, well, I don't come to you with wisdom of words or of man's wisdom. It came in simplicity and weakness and frailty, declaring unto you the counsel of God. What for that your faith may not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God? May I again say to you that spiritual truth is never received or imparted by argument, the Spirit of God only reveals spiritual truth to open hearts. And this is the contention that Paul had with the Corinthian church of running after men, and especially those who claim to be wise. And when we come to chapter 4, where we are now, we've just been dis 
we have been watching of how the Apostle Paul said that they were stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, they were responsible. It was a, a responsibility, and that which God demands is faithfulness. Stewards must be faithful in that which they are doing. They have one master. Each one is to be faithful to their master. Whatever anybody else thinks or does is neither here nor there. The important thing is to walk before God. He is our Lord. I trust we can say he is our master and we are his love slaves, not caring what the world thinks about us, not even caring what anybody else thinks about us, as long as we are walking in fellowship with God and obedient to his word. And then in verses 6 to 7, uh, the Apostle Paul gives himself and Apollos as examples of what they should do, of how they should live in their position before God. There is a difference between Christian workers, but God makes a difference. And when you and I begin to judge a servant of God, in one real sense, we're judging God because God has made him what he is. And as Paul could say to the Roman church in chapter 14, who art thou that, that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. And then verses 8 to 13, we had, uh, they were examples in life. And here is a picture of, of the apostle Paul and the apostles, Paulus and so on. They were on the stage as actors and were set forth by God. Remember this. God set them forth to be appointed unto death. They were a spectacle. It's a, it's a theatrical word. You're on the stage, a spectacle to men, to angels, to the world. I tell you, my friend, you think about this. Wherever you go as a Christian, you're going to be watched by men, by the world, by angels, every test and trial, every blessing and joy you have, you're not alone. You're being watched. As the Apostle Peter could say concerning uh, the angels in First Peter chapter 1, you remember about verses 14 and 15, the very angels of God desire to look into these things which are commonly reported among us today. What a spectacle. None of your lives but what is out in the open before men, before the world, before angelic beings, and possibly, I could add, before demons. It's hard to believe in that. And when you're tested, when you're tried, when you go through sorrow and affliction, you're being watched. And believe me, my friend, the world of men are very quick to, to jump on Christians who do not walk circumspectly before God. I've oftentimes said, if you want to know how a Christian should live, you ask a man of the world. I remember when I was in the machine shops as a young fellow, i just come to know the Savior, and a, an old cursing baller maker came out to see me where I was working. I used to make ramers and taps for him, and he asked for a loan of a one of my tools, I think it was a microphone, and I said, you go and help yourself. I was working on a milling machine and I didn't want to be bothered with them. 
And he came back to me and he said, Say, when I pulled out that top little drawer of your tool chest, you had a New Testament in there. I said, that's right. Are you a Christian? Yes, I've become a Christian. And he proceeded to tell me what he expected of me. And I said, how do you know these things? Oh, he said, I've been around a little bit. If you're a Christian, this is how you should live. I tell you, I was on the spot. When a man of the world can tell you how a Christian should walk and how he should live, you're on the spot. So Paulius says we are a spectacle to men, to the world, to angels. And then he goes on to speak to them in verses 10 down to 13. is yearning for these, these Corinthian Christians. And I know he's a little caustic in some of the things he says when he talks about we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ and so on. What Paul is after while they were living in luxury and boasting about their wisdom and so forth and so on, the apostle Paul was in trouble. He was despised. He was weak. He was hungry. He was naked. He was defamed. He was persecuted. He was reviled. He was the off-scouting of the world and so on. Boy, I'm telling you, there's no room for pride there. But I'll tell you one thing, the, the life of Christ was evident in him. Do you remember our Lord said in Matthew chapter 8, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now we come down to verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And here we have the warning that he gives. Now, although he's been somewhat caustic with them from verse 8 on down through, uh, now he begins to change his tune, manifesting love and compassion for these Corinthian people. Verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, my how this fellow loved the people of God. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me. For this cause have I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if God will, and will know not the speech, not the words of those who are puffed up. I want to know the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Let me just stop here for a few moments. You'll notice Paul asks them to imitate him, to follow him not to be like their instructors who are full of wind, full of words, with no power. And he's so in love with these people. He's, he's begotten them in the gospel. You know, there is a bond between a person who ministers Christ to some people who come to know the Savior through that ministry. There's a bond there. They're your children in Christ. I know what I'm talking about. There is a bond there. You might have many teachers, said Paul, many instructors, but you only have one father in the faith, and that's what I am. For in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel. And because of this, he has them upon his heart. Because of this, he's burdened for them. He sees their worldliness. He sees their waywardness. He sees their puffed up, their so-called boasted knowledge. 
the wisdom of men, the philosophies of men. And they've missed the sweetness, the love, the compassion, the desire to glorify Christ. In other words, they were living in the desires of the flesh and the mind instead of living to please God. Oh, how that could be multiplied today. My friend, are you living to please God? Is that the great consuming passion of your life? Christian friend, is Christ the center of your affection and devotion? This is Paul's heart. And he, as I said a while ago, he's kind of caustic when he said, for example, in verse 8, you're full, you reign as kings without us. Would to God you did reign and we also might reign with you. And of course, that's going to be true when the Lord Jesus Christ. But he asks them here to imitate him, to follow him, just as he followed the Lord, for them to follow him. And in verse 17, he's even sending Timothy to them. And Timothy was faithful, just like Paul. His ways were in Christ. He lived what he taught. Our friend, what a need today for us Christians to live what we teach. Folly for me and folly for you to talk about the marvels we have in Christ Jesus and then live like somebody who's not even saved. What a need I say today for God's people to live godly in Christ Jesus. Oh, but you see, if I do that, I'll, I'll suffer. That's right. That's what Paul said to Timothy when he said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution of one sort or another. Because in Paul's day, it meant oftentimes physical suffering. It meant jail. Sometimes it meant crucifixion. It meant scourging. Now, we don't go through that today. But you suffer more or less. You lose friends sometimes. You may even lose your job. And yet I want to tell you that wherever we live, whatever we do, whatever we say, we ought to magnify the Lord of glory who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what I'm trying to get to your heart. That's what Paul says. And Timothy is just like me. He shall bring you in remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. Margaret, my ways which be in Christ in which I teach every man. He lived what he taught. Instead of having empty profession, his life revealed the footage of that which he taught. And when one thinks of the marvelous position you and I have in Christ, just think of it again, and I don't mind repeating it. We stand before God in all the beauty, in all the merit, in all the righteousness of Christ. As Paul writing to the Ephesian church in chapter 1 could say, we are accepted in the beloved. As Paul could say, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we have access into his presence, into the very presence of God. And you couldn't come in the presence of God if you were not clothed with the garments of righteousness, which he provides for every believer in Christ. But I'm left down here, what for? To show forth something of his praise, of his glory, of his love, of his grace, of his tenderness, of his compassion. May we never become hard. May we never become cold and indifferent to the conditions of people, especially for those who are out of Christ. 
I just plead with you with believers to so walk and to so live that Christ will be magnified in your body. This is what Paul is after. It's what Paul is after. God set us forth, said he in verse 9, to be spectacles. What for? To con bring conviction upon the unsaved, that's part of it, but more than ever to glorify the Savior who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he goes on, you notice, he goes on in verses 18 to 21, and you have the test. And some of these folk thought that Paul wouldn't visit them. They were becoming arrogant. They were taking advantage of Paul not being there. And they were showing off what they knew, their wisdom, their philosophy, so forth, and became arrogant. And Paul says, now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you. You're taking advantage of my absence. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and I will know not the speech, not the words of them which are puffed up. But I want to know the power of it. The power of God is, not, is the test, not what you say so much. This is what he's saying. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The power of God must characterize the rule of God, wherever it exists. I want you to mark that. The power of God. The power to transform lives. The power to carry you through all the tasks and sorrows of life. Now I want to say, my friend, it's the older you get, the more you realize what sorrow is, what afflictions are, what suffering is. And we enter into the sufferings and sorrows of those of God's people who go through that in their experience. But we also experience the power of God. Again, may I suggest to you, it's in the hard places you really get to know God. The disciples found out who Jesus was, not when he was feeding the 5,000 so much, but when, he was, when they were in the storm. And the Lord stilled the wind and stilled the storm. What manner of man is this we're following? So I say the power of God will be evident when believers are walking in fellowship with God. So Paul here is, 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 is desire to come to them. The test of a person's testimony is the power of God. Not just words, not just words. Listen to what it is. There are some of you are puffed up. They think I'm not going to come to you, but I am. And believe me, when I come to you, I'm going to find out not their talk, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then he, and then he gives us great desire in the last verse. What will you? How shall I come to you? Says Paul. Shall I come with a rod? Shall I come with a baseball bat? Or shall I come in love and in the spirit of meekness? How shall I come to you? He's asking the Corinthians this. How shall I come to you? Shall I come to you in love, in compassion, in meekness? Or shall I come with a baseball bat, beat you over the heads, make you behave? You know, it's so easy to use a baseball bat, isn't it? It's so easy to take a stick and lick God's people and they don't need a stick. What they need is some love and some compassion and meekness. 
I'm reminded of that verse in 2 Corinthians. You remember chapter 10, I believe it is, the first verse of 2 Corinthians 10, uh, when Paul says, I'm going to beseech you by the gentleness and by the meekness of Christ. Oh, God grant that those of us who are ministering the word of God will manifest something of his presence, of his love, of his tenderness, of his compassion. There are thousands of Christians yearning for someone to love them, yearning for someone to understand them, yearning for someone who will come along with a touch of love. My friend, I see this very sadly. There are too many Christians, by the way, just like that. They need, they need comfort. They don't need a stick. They need comfort. And when Paul thinks of these Corinthians, where they were, fighting over men, trying to be somebody, puffed up, shall I come to you with a rod, or shall I come in love and in meekness? Now, I'm telling you very frankly, if they need a rod, he would use it. But what they need is love, understanding, compassion. You know, some years ago, I was holding some meetings in, in Iowa. And the, the family I was staying with in Iowa told me that just before I came there, they'd had some tent meetings. And apparently, there had been some fighting in the assembly. They were being split up, taking sides. And two of the leaders in opposition to each other were making, were splitting the church. And the man who was the head of that movement, of that group, came down from Chicago. And of course, he came with a stick in his hand. He was going to straighten this thing out. And as he sat on the platform in the first part of the meeting while they were singing and so on, he was getting restless. You could see he was getting restless, eager to get up there and really, really go down the line with them. And there was a colored brother sitting near the front, and he kept kind of halfway getting up and sitting down again. And eventually he got up and went to the platform, and he said to this man who was the head of the group, he said, Brother so-and-so, he said, the Lord just told me to tell you, you have no oil on your club, and went and sat down. And this man was big enough in himself to get up and say, you know, friends, I came down here from Chicago, I was going to whip you folks into shape. I came down with a, with a club. And the Lord just rebuked me through this dear brother. And I've thrown my club away. And I want to talk to you about the love and the sweetness and the gentleness of Christ. And when he got through talking about our Savior and his love and compassion for men and women, these two fellows who were at the head of the division, uh, got up and went forward. And when they went forward, they put their arms around each other, confessed their sin one against each other. And the result was, was a, a, a precious harmony among God's people. As I said a moment ago, what they need is not a club. What they need is something of the tenderness and the compassion of Christ. And I know I'm talking to some people today over this radio program. This is what you need. You don't need a club. You're discouraged. You're disheartened. You feel like giving up, don't you? Remember, the Lord Jesus still loves you. He's still full of compassion. I want to tell you, people, he loves you with an everlasting love. And I just pray that the Lord will, in his own wonderful way, 
glorify himself in your life today. You'll experience, just think of it, the tenderness, the compassion of Christ Jesus. He understands every one of you. Did you hear me? He understands every one of you. And he's able to meet your individual need this morning. And I just pray that this will be true in your life and in my life. The Lord bless you now today for his wonderful, precious namesake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.